0: The sermon this morning is part two on the Fifth Commandment. Last Sunday we noted the Fifth Commandment serves as a hinge or as a bridge between the two tablets of the law connecting love for God with love for our neighbor. And this morning we're going to hear from the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, a direct quotation of the Fifth Commandment in the New Testament and, and are going to consider its ongoing application to our lives. And so now I invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 for the reading of God's Word in verses 1 through 4. And first, let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and the hearing of His Word and let us pray as we sing. We come. Let us hear the word of Almighty God. It is written, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now to Him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by His blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, power, and dominion. Amen. Amen. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That's Exodus 20, verse 12. And the first thing that we notice in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, is that the Apostle Paul directly quotes the Fifth Commandment. And that tells us immediately and obviously that the moral law of God found in the Ten Commandments is still applicable and relevant for the Christian life. We've been touching on that point. For all of these 11 preceding weeks, the commandments, the Ten Commandments are not the way of salvation, not the way to salvation, but for the true believer in Jesus Christ, for the person who is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Ten Commandments show us how to respond to God with gratitude for His grace. Because through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior, God really and truly has brought us up out of the land of Egypt, out of a house of slavery. I want us to get that. The Old Testament exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt, a real historical event, is nevertheless a foreshadowing of God's great work in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The ultimate, supreme, eternal exodus has taken place through Jesus. And if we're in union with Him through faith, I want you to think about this. We're in union with Christ in His death and His resurrection from the dead through faith in Him. If He is ours and we are His, then we ourselves have experienced, experienced the ultimate and supreme exodus. That, that which the Old Testament Israelite exodus was simply a, a, a foreshadowing of. Through faith in Christ, we have been brought out of death and into eternal life. And so, through faith in Christ... And I I really want you to get this, because this is a a lens through which you ought to read all of Scripture. It's a paradigm. It, it, It puts everything in focus. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are the Exodus people of the new covenant, the new covenant Israel, who has been brought out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You see, it's, the Exodus is not simply a matter of ancient Old Covenant Israelite history. The Supreme Exodus, the New Covenant Exodus, is a matter of our own personal experience through the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now, all of that is, is by way of foundational introduction, but I want you to get that because I want you to see that in Ephesians 6... The Apostle Paul addresses the church in Ephesus and the Word of God addresses us today as the New Covenant Exodus people. We are the New Covenant Exodus community, the church of Jesus Christ. And to us, the Word of God addresses the fifth commandment. So you see, there's a continuity. There is a connection between the Old Testament. And the New Testament in Ephesians six, and I also want to say by introduction that when Paul uh wrote this to the Ephesians, you see he is as it were downloading the the wisdom and the the instruction of the Old testament scriptures this This has to do with parents raising their children in the discipline and admonition instruction of the Lord. Listen to what the Lord spoke through Moses to the Israelites in the wilderness as they were preparing to enter the promised land. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. As the Israelites were preparing to enter into their promised land of Canaan, the Lord impressed upon them the necessity of teaching their children, being diligent. And also, in this this passage, there is uh, you can hear in the background of Paul's instructions to the Ephesians, uh, words from the Proverbs. For example, Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And Proverbs 3, verse 1, My son, which would also apply to daughters, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, Paul gives us an echo of that in this passage, and we'll touch on it in a moment. But my point right now, the the big idea is that as the Apostle Paul was addressing the church of Ephesus comprised mainly of ethnic Gentiles, you see, he's, he's bringing the instruction from the Old Testament putting it in the light of the gospel and delivering it to this new community of believers, those who have been brought into the New Covenant Exodus community. Okay? So there we're seeing a direct connection from Old Testament to New Testament. We put ourselves, see ourselves in that paradigm of being the New Covenant Exodus people. Now... In that light, we see an interesting thing in verse 3. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, says Paul, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I think a better translation is that you may live long in On the earth, the Greek word there can be translated either land or earth. New American Standard Bible, if you have it, the New International Version, if you have that, uh, translates it as that you may live long on the earth. Now what's going on here? Here's the point. When God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, the Old Testament Israelites were on their way to the land of Canaan their promised land, the land promised to Abraham and his descendants, a geographical slice of property. And so the fifth commandment given at Sinai to the old covenant Israelites says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long, say it with me, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now that's a direct historical reference to the land of Canaan. But now, when Paul addresses the New Covenant Exodus people, when the Word of God addresses us, the Church of Jesus Christ, it doesn't say the land that, God, that He is giving you. He, the, Paul adapts the fifth commandment to this new reality in Christ. So to the Christians in Ephesus, to us today, the Scripture says, Honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land or live long on the earth. The reference is not to the land of Canaan because that's not our promised land. The reference is simply to the land, meaning wherever you live on the earth, or really better yet, it actually refers to the whole earth because... The church of Jesus Christ is to inhabit the whole earth and to make disciples of all. Come on, that was your cue. Make disciples of all nations. Our inheritance is the earth and especially the new creation which will come when Christ comes again. And so this in this verse, we see an important transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from the land of Canaan to the whole earth. But Paul is taking this Old Testament principle, blessing of long life, and shifting it from the land of Canaan to the whole earth, which includes Monroe, West Monroe, Ouachita Parish, and beyond. Another obvious and important thing that we see in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3... Is that children are directly addressed? Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, here's the next point. The earliest Christians didn't have copies of the New Testament or copies of Paul's letter to read in the privacy of their homes. The letters of Paul and the other apostles were read aloud to the various congregations to whom they were written. Their letters were, in some ways, like sermons read to the congregation. And in his letters to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, Paul very deliberately addresses children. That means, obviously, that children were present with their parents and the gathered congregation for worship to hear the Word of God through the apostles. Now, this is very, very basic. Please forgive me for overstating the obvious, but I'm doing that on purpose. We learn from the Scripture that hearing the Word of God in the context of public worship is a family affair. Families are important to God. Be fruitful and multiply. Because the Lord seeks godly offspring to build up His church, to advance His kingdom throughout the earth. So the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord in the people who love Him and serve Him. So, Hearing the Word of God in the context of public worship is a family affair, and that's the reason that we include children, first grade and older, in the entire worship service. And let me quickly add that children from the cradle up, from the cradle up, are welcome and encouraged to attend the entire service. The inclusion of children in our services is a decision-based on Scripture. It's not a matter of mere practicality, as though, well, we couldn't really provide a separate activity for them. We don't have enough people to do that, so we'll just have a... Uh, 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 uh. It's a decision based on biblical conviction. Children were present when the earliest Christians gathered for worship, and so our children are to be present with, in worship with us. Children, first grade and up, and even younger, I would say, when instructed properly and taught to do so, can sit through the entire service without having to get up and excuse themselves. They can do that. They can ride in a car from Monroe to Vicksburg. They can sit right here. Your children are highly intelligent. Those little brains are sponges. And if you intentionally and actively prepare them for worship and help them through worship and show them a good example in worship by singing like you mean it, taking notes through the sermon, helping them take notes, helping them learn the words to the hymns, helping them by writing down key words, giving them a doodle pad. Doodling is good. Doodling is good. It helps the little mind remember what they're hearing. There's been some studies done on that. Doodling is fine. So they, maybe they draw pictures of something they hear so that they learn to become active participants in worship. They will benefit from the Word of God as well as from the hymns, the prayers, and the liturgy. Now, don't believe the lie from hell that says children can't really understand the sermon. Oh. They might not understand everything, but they can understand some things. And they certainly can understand that it's important to you if you show them that it is. And if it's important to you, they'll see that it must be important to them. But even today, the Word of God says, the Word of God addresses children directly. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, that's what the fifth commandment primarily means for dependent children. They can understand that God extends a a general blessing to those who who obey his word, that it may go well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. You can explain to them. They can understand that general principle, the general rule, that things in general will go better in general for children who obey their Christian parents. In other words, obedience is good for them. And when children obey their Christian parents who love and care for them, they are much more likely to be in situations of safety and happy, uh, happy relationships, good friendships, opportunities to grow up in a healthy, positive way. In the Christian home, an obedient child should be a happy child experiencing God's blessing that it may go well with them. So parents, let me just give you a word of encouragement. When you rightly and calmly and consistently demand, insist upon obedience, first-time obedience, obedience without grumbling, obedience without complaining, obedience without delay, in a calm, controlled, consistent, constructive fashion, you're not hurting your child. No matter the protest, you're blessing your child. So let God's word encourage you in that. And parents, grandparents, the children in the home, you, you see you can go home and, and, and talk about this today. You can talk about the sermon, not lecture them, not quiz them. Just talk to them about what God's word says and why. It says it because he loves them. You can talk about it every day. When you walk in the way, when you sit in your house, when you rise and when you lie down, you can remind them about it when they, and you you can remind and correct them when they choose to disobey. But the point I'm pleading right now, based on Ephesians 6.1, is simply this, parents, help your child tune in to worship. Don't, don't send them the, the subliminal message that worship is not really for them. Don't bring them into the sanctuary assuming that worship is, is not really for them. Of course it is. The Bible says so. That they will need your help. So, you know, you get the bulletin by email. You can preview it with them. You can practice the call to worship. Really. Make it fun, like a game. You can have them sit quietly as you read through the prayer of confession and repentance. Repentance. You can talk about, to them about what it means. Maybe about some things that you and they need to ask forgiveness for. You can read the assigned Scripture passage or have them read it to you. You can read through the hymns for the upcom- um, upcoming Sunday. Or sing it together. Now, do you have a Trinity hymnal? If you don't have a Trinity hymnal, just ask. Jonathan or I will get you one. This is not difficult. It's just simply part of your calling to make disciples of the children God has entrusted to you. When your child was baptized, you took sacred vows. So how are we doing with that? I don't want this to feel like work or a heavy burden. Just make it a natural part of your life. You feed your children. You review their homework. You help get them ready for a test. You take them to a gazillion different activities at inconvenient times, that's another sermon, you can do this. You can do this. If you will, you can help your child engage in and benefit from public worship. It's really up to you to teach your child how to worship, and they are commanded to obey you as you do so, and you are commanded to teach them. For it Now look, one of my hopes while we're in this extended series on the Ten Commandments, reading the Decalogue each Sunday, I hope that you at home around the dinner table or at bedtime are reading the Ten Commandments out loud every day so that by the time we've concluded this series, you and your children will have memorized the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 1 through 17. You know, if your children don't learn the Ten Commandments here or at home, where are they going to learn them? They're not going to learn them unless they are attending a very intentional, truly biblically Christian school which really teaches the Word of God. They're not going to learn the Ten Commandments anywhere except here and especially in your home. So let me ask you parents, this is week 12 in the series. Are you intentionally, actively, deliberately engaged with your children, helping them to memorize the Ten Commandments? This would be a great time right now at the dinner table, bedtime, while you're driving them around here or there, also to be working through the children's catechism section on the Ten Commandments. Wonderful resource for your child's Christian nurture. But of course, it's not only a matter of teaching our children how to worship. That's foundational. It is foundational, but we have to build on that foundation. Because parents, you know, the world in which you are raising your children is directly at odds with the Christian faith, morals, and ethics. I hope that you know this. I hope that you are keenly aware that the air your children breathe And the water they drink is anti-Christian. Period. Where will they learn right from wrong? I hope not from this. Because if so... They're sunk. Who's raising your children? You or Taylor Swift? Or some other super cool celebrity? From a very early age, more so than any other, you know, and, and you know, he's like, okay, now he's doing his old man thing, you know. You know, things are so much worse than they were when, right? Well, let me, let me tell you this things aren't worse. Things are the same ever since Adam disobeyed God, but things are different, right? Human beings have engaged in warfare. Since the fall of Adam, right? But the advent of intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear warheads is different. Right? 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 Digital media. media. Makes our culture different for our children. Intercontinental ballistic missile loaded with a nuclear warhead. So, from a very early age, our children need to be taught the biblical truths the biblical realities. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The powers that be and the intellectual elite would like that verse to be, never to enter your children's mind never, and about sexual purity in marriage and outside of marriage, and honest work, honest, reliable, responsible work for the glory of God, and respect for their elders, and how to treat others including their own friends, with courtesy and kindness and a willingness to serve others in humility. There's nothing out there in the world that's going to give you any support for that. So just examine yourself and and ask yourselves, husbands and wives, sit down and have a talk. How are we doing? How seriously are we taking this? Who's raising our children after all? I implore you to make disciples of these little ones. Help them to know who they are as members of Christ's visible church. Help them to know whose they are, that they belong to God, and not to themselves, and not to this world. Teach them that their only Creator and Redeemer has the power to bless them with true happiness. This is the point of that general promise in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long upon the earth, which is an echo of Proverbs chapter 3. This is a general blessing, which is generally true a general principle which bears itself out in most cases. Sadly, yes, of course, in this sorrowful world there are exceptions, but the general principle remains true. Children who receive and obey the godly instruction of Christian parents are much more likely to thrive than those who are unrepentantly, recalcitrantly disobedient. Plenty of illustrations of that, but now... Very important for us to notice that this instruction to children is immediately followed by instruction to fathers. And we've, we've really covered that so far in the sermon, but I, I do want to point out that fathers are directly addressed in verse 4. God directly addresses you. Too often in our culture, uh, great failing great failing of the 20th century church. Huge, huge failing of the 20th century church. And we we, we must repent of it in the 21st century. Too often in our culture, not only the the, the child raising, but also the spiritual nurture and spiritual education of children is assumed to be the mother's responsibility. Verse 3 destroys that assumption. Verse 3 shows us very clearly that fathers have the primary responsibility for the spiritual instruction of their children. Why? Because God has so ordered the family that the husband and father is the head of the covenantal family unit. Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 teach us clearly that the husband is ultimately responsible for the well-being of his wife and his marriage and for the spiritual nurture and education of his children. Who is the spiritual leader in your home? Are you fulfilling your God-ordained responsibilities in this regard, at least least seeking, trying, trying faithfully to fulfill them? Need help? Don't have a clue because your father wasn't the spiritual leader in, in your home? Need help? There are plenty of men in this congregation who could share with you and would be happy to share with you out of their own experience about how to grow as a spiritual leader of your family. If you need help, get help. We can help. The command for children to obey their parents gives no room for parents, especially fathers, to treat their children harshly or unfairly or unreasonably or in any way abusively. Verse 3 is a command, and it's no less a command for, the, for children to obey their parents. It's a command for fathers not to provoke their children to anger. What divine wisdom is here? Divine wisdom. Do not provoke your children to anger. And so fathers and mothers, but especially fathers, remember, rules without a relationship results in rebellion. You can write that down. Rules without a relationship results in rebellion, overcorrection, fault-finding, perfectionism, authoritarian control without an investment of personal time and attention and healthy fun and interested interaction and helping your child achieve his or her goals with with empathy, being involved in their lives. Fathers, your child wants you. Your child needs you. Your time, your attention, your personal interest, positive involvement in his or her life, not just the things that you can give them. This is absolutely necessary to raising your children, nourishing them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See the importance of that phrase, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're drawing this to a close now, and I want you to get this. It means that you are the primary instrument. You are the primary instrument, the God-ordained instrument through which, through whom the Lord Himself nurtures and instructs and disciplines your child. Ultimately, you see, your children belong to the Lord. He has entrusted them into your care. You are a steward on the Lord's behalf. You are a steward on the Lord's behalf. That's what it means to be a Christian parent. You've been entrusted with the stewardship of a child who has been born into this world by the decree of God for the purpose of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. That's your calling every day. And of course, as you nurture your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, point them to Jesus every day. This isn't merely about obedience to you. That has a a further end point. Teach them early on that you, just as much as they, need the forgiveness and mercy of the Lord. Raise them in the comfort of the gospel, not under the harsh demands of legalistic perfection. Let your home be a home in which confession of sin and forgiveness of sin and reconciliation of relationships are lived out among all your family members. Show them the gospel. And remember, throw yourself onto Jesus. As you seek to follow his word, seek the Lord's help. ask the lord's forgiveness none of us none of us does this perfectly. No child born in this world ever had a perfect parent. not one. We need the Lord's help, we need the Lord's forgiveness. we need to trust in the Lord that He will be at work by His Spirit in the heart of your children. He loves, he loves your children. But He loves them primarily as they are growing up. He loves them through you. He teaches them through you. He nurtures them. He disciplines them through you so that they will come to know Him and love Him and serve Him and seek His forgiveness. And remember, let this be a great comfort to us all. It is Jesus Himself who loved us and gave Himself up for us who bore our own sins in His body on the tree. It is Jesus who said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for of such is the kingdom of God. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word of instruction. We thank You for Your Word of love, that You would love us so much that You would give us Your Word and that You would help us by Your Spirit. We do pray, Lord, that our families, our home life would be havens of happiness and holiness, reflections of Your goodness and of Your grace. Grant us this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith today, reading in unison from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Christians, in whom do you believe? We, we believe in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count.